Welcome to Depth of Field. I'm your host, Rachel. This winter, I'll be exploring the field of photography here in our backyard, as well as further abroad by interviewing photographers, curators, educators, and more about how they do what they do and why. Listen into stories about how they hone their craft, built their network, and shared what they have made with the world. I started this show as a way to reach out to photographers I admire. I wanted to ask them all the questions I'm dying to ask established photographers, gush over their work, and hear answers to questions I would not have thought to ask. This week, to kick off the show, is a guest whose documentary work I have admired since she entered the scene a few years ago. I always love to hear how people's experiences have shaped the way they work behind the viewfinder. My guest this week shifted from a career in researching family dynamics, where she spent hours upon hours studying how children interact with their parents, to being a storm chaser of sorts, where she continues to spend hour after hour capturing the subtle yet animated life led by her subjects on a day-to-day basis. If you are not familiar with her work so far, I am pleased to introduce Viara Milova. Welcome to Depth of Field. Welcome to Depth of Field. Thank you Thank so much you. for joining me today. Thanks for having me and for describing me as a storm chaser. That's super exciting. <laughs> I feel really hardcore now. I feel like it's it's fairly accurate. I mean, families are chaotic sometimes. Yeah, they they are. And uh, of when you have multiple kids with multiple ages and you're just um, in the role of photographer, kind of going into the home and, uh, you know... Uh, I mean, I'll do a, a kind of a brief couple of minutes where I'm goofy and silly for them to to see, you know, that my walls are down and that I'm 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 in a sort of I try to make myself vulnerable so that they feel comfortable. Uh, but pretty much, I'm I'm shooting right away. I'm taking photographs right from the beginning. So uh, yeah, it can be pretty wild. And then <laughs> it takes a few minutes for things to iron out, for things people to the kids especially they're pretty quick with like oh okay so she's doing that we're just gonna get along with our day now (laughs) they're good that's helpful yeah super helpful to to do documentary work right um so I wanted to start out I just wanted to start our show with a little bit about your background in in research I kind of attempted to read a couple of uh, your papers oh I kind of got (laughs) a little in over my head I think um but you studied uh parenting and attachment styles ish yeah, um, so my focus shifted over the years. I started out, actually, I did my master's at Queen's um, in a neuroscience lab with uh, Dr. Mel Robertson studying Drosophila, so fruit flies and genetics and, and that kind of thing. And then I had my first son, and I thought, I want to study humans and human behavior. And I spent some time at the playground observing other moms with their babies, and I thought, you know, why why do we see these differences? And then the online um, parenting community was just kind of burgeoning at the time and I thought I want to know more about this why are we all different as parents why are we similar why do we hound each other about what we should be doing as parents and so I approached a parenting researcher at U of T and she took me on for a PhD and yeah I just spent um, several years looking at the the early experiences in mothers lives so how they themselves were parented by their own parents um, and then also their genes, their, their genetic differences, and how those may be associated with differences in, in their parenting behavior towards their own children. Those so uh, genes and environment interactions. Mm. And what did you uh, learn about parenting families 
behavior from that research? I learned um, that it's complicated and that there are no hard and fast answers and that no matter how many Psychology Today articles you read about this is what you should be doing as a parent, I think we're not in a position as psychologists, as parenting scientists, to answer those questions. And that stems to most parenting topics. Um, So I spent several years um, in depth studying bed sharing, parent-child bed sharing, and so uh, sleeping in the same bed. And there's quite a controversial topic. Some people do it. Uh, Traditionally, it has been done across many cultures in the world. In our Western world, it's le- it's it's more rare. And even for that, there's you know, uh, my colleague and I reviewed 600 papers. It was the biggest review ever done on the topic of vegetarian, and we concluded that there are no no real answers. Um, it it might pose risks if there are risk factors. It can also be very good for families if done safely. And so, I think that I. You know, I kind of pulled out of academia at the right time for me because I was starting to realize that in when you're dealing with complex human behavior, it's very difficult even working with large populations like I was. So in the Netherlands, I did my postdoc there and I, we studied 10,000 families and, you know, looked at all those data. And even then, it's very difficult to really have clear, clear answers. Things are correlated, but are they necessarily cause and effect and most likely no are we considering all the factors um so it's it's complex fair (laughs) enough (laughs) and so that's i guess very specific to the the type types of dynamics that you were studying um when did you decide to make that shift into uh photography and kind of studying the family unit from that perspective yeah, so that's interesting. So I had always been taking photographs of my own family and then wanting to do it better and better. And by that I mean I was just, I had started having photographic influences um, by photographers who were taking photographs of their own families and doing it in a way that I thought was really creative or really something about it moved me. Particular photographer in in uh, France, Alain Lebois, who had six children in rural France, and he took these sort of rural, idyllic black and white images with his Leica of his children, you know, playing with baby deer and kittens, and and at that time we had been we were in suburbia, we were in Mississauga for my PhD, and before that we were in Toronto for twelve years, and so we we were always really urban, and I thought, wouldn't it be amazing to give this opportunity to my kids to live a life like this? And um, so, yeah, so I, I, I tried to better my own photography by looking at these inspiring photographers. And then over time, when I moved to Kingston, we actually made the whole hobby farm a reality, this dream that we'd had with my husband. Um, we bought a small property here, um, 24 acres, and we started having some animals. And uh, at that point, people started offering to pay me to take photographs of their families or their birth um, and the birth of their babies. And so it just was kind of a like an awakening of sorts, I guess. One day I thought maybe I could, I could do this. This could be a, a practical way to satisfy that creative part of me that had been dormant or maybe not so dormant for years and then also, you know, make a living and support my family. 
And where were you uh, sharing your work that um, family and friends were kind of coming to you and saying, hey, uh, <laughs> how do you feel about taking some pictures of me? Yeah, it was just on Facebook. It was just the personal photographs that I was taking of my own kids. But I think it's because I was, you know, inspired by these other photographers. So I was trying to present it no long I shifted from you know having these big photo dumps of here's my family vacation look through 150 photographs of our trip somewhere um to you know just posting single images and kind of having each image thinking about what images I was presenting and having each image uh, mean something to me and then that resonated so it, yeah it's just started on Facebook so when someone takes a look at your work, I mean, personally, I would describe it as like lifestyle documentary style. It's it very much, you know, you're you're documenting families in a in a very private space, um, but in such a beautiful manner. Like, how did you come to fall into the documentary style? Like, was it your the influences that you from the photographers that you had seen before or? What drew you to that? It was, yeah, it was, so it was, it was both, yeah, it was definitely the influences that I'd had, which um, led me to take, it was um, closely aligned with, I guess, with the way I wanted to take photos of my own kids. But then, um, you know, then I realized after watching uh, an episode of Creative Live with Kristen Lewis that that people are actually doing this as a photography genre, as a paid, you know, client genre. Um, the documentary family approach they were they were actually you know offering that to people instead of the traditional portraiture and so that was really when I thought okay well I'm already kind of doing this you know I had done that with a birth I had done that with a newborn session um, with a few clients very few and I thought so now I can actually have since other people are doing it it, it, it I can just I felt free to continue and then to sort of hone in on the real documentary aspect of it, which means, so there, the, this gets kind of tricky, the distinction between lifestyle and documentary, but um, with lifestyle photography, we think of um, things can still be somewhat structured and the photographer still can orchestrate things, can tell a family where to stand or what to do, can suggest things. And then, you know, the photographer can say, oh, maybe you should sit on the couch there and, you know, play or hang out or read a book and I will take photos. And maybe, you know, she might open curtains or she might kind of arrange the scene so it looks um, its best. Uh, Whereas documentary work, uh, I guess, in its purest form is just taking photographs of what's there and not interfering with the environment um, and so that would also include things like not turning on lights or opening curtains or even really interacting with the family although I'm a little bit more loose on that one because I think that you know it's a huge help to talk to people as you're photographing them especially at the beginning when they're still not sure you know what to establish that trust you know you're in their space so you have to you have to make yourself one of them, you know? <laughs> and uh, that kind of leads me to another question I had about how you go about forming connections with your your subjects. Um, now, I wanted, to, I mean, I don't know if that's different um, depending on how long your session is, but uh, what is your what is your approach when it comes to kind of getting a family to let you in? 
Uh, it depends so much with different families. You know, some families are so on board with the documentary approach right from the beginning, and they book me because they're they want a documentary photographer. Um, and many families who are still new to this, they might have liked my work that they see, but they're still because they've been photographed before in a more traditional style. They're still unsure what it what it will mean once I show up, and so. And of course, everybody has different comfort levels. Not not everybody is comfortable with having a camera in their face, even if they have the the, the desire to capture their family memories. Once uh, you know, once you're there with a camera, it's you know it can be um, tricky for people to just be perfectly okay with it. I mean, I'm the same way. So I'm a like a really nerdy, goofy person, and so I try to. Um, just be myself and like you know um, show them that I'm not you know I'm 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 their ally I'm their friend and and in that moment you know I have so much love and respect for for everybody that I photograph I it's kind of funny I I've I've had these thoughts and then I've heard other people speak of it this way I feel like every you know every family almost becomes like a part of your family in a way You, you you have so much you create such a bond, or at least I do. I feel such a connection to everybody I photograph in that moment that I, yeah, it's just a lot of, res- I have a lot of respect for them. And so much, um, I'm so thankful for that, for them being open with me. And I try to radiate that somehow with my face or with the things I do. I don't know. Um, so one of the things that really drew me to uh, your particular um business was your uh, series Year in a Life. This is a project that you've just started, I I gather? Yeah, I started that last year. I December, I kind of announced that I would be doing Year in the Life. And then, uh, so I've had one family who signed up and they just finished. We just had their last session in December. Wow. Yeah. That's sad. <laughs> it was kind of sad because, you know, I hung out with them so much and we're, we're friends, but well, you know, now we're friends, so we can, we can do things without the camera. <laughs> Can you tell me about um, what your what your vision for that was, and uh, and basically how it went over the year, and what you what you learned and took from it? Yeah. So when I started it, I just thought. Um, so part of part of my academic experience was a, a little bit um, lonely because you're working with families, or you're you know as an academic, you're analyzing behavior of families that sometimes you don't get to meet. And, you know, sometimes you'll have a research assistant that goes into the family's home and sets up a camera and records them, and then you just look at the videotapes. Or even if you do meet them at a home visit, you'll meet them for 30 minutes or an hour, or th- three hours, and, and then that's it. And you go back to the lab and you, you work with, with those data. But So in that sense, the, the connection with each family is not there. Your role as a researcher is not to make connections with people. It's to really be objective and collect data and analyze those data as, as data points. And so photography is so much different, and I love that about it. Each family um, has its own way of doing things, and each family has its own activities that they, they love and their, their way of bonding. And some families are loud and boisterous, and some families are quiet and, and, and intimate. And I love that. I love um, being able to be a small part of that and the idea came to me about you know people were doing day in the life sessions which is essentially doing you know following a family for an entire day as a sort of uh, memory box of their of that whole day and i thought well 
wouldn't it be great if you know I'm local and I could find a family that's local that I could follow them for an entire year and that way I give them memories for for the whole year and then they get to pick what we do and they get to do what they do I just tag along and I take photographs and I try to make them as strong as possible and yeah so that was that was my thought and then it turned out being absolutely incredible and this family I don't think I mean as people they're amazing and also their vision for photography you know was spot on aligned with mine and so the documentary approach was really uh, comfortable for them and you know I, the, the very first session we did was January it was a cold January evening and I it was the first time I had met uh, most of them the the father and the two boys and so I went there and they were just um she made a meal after work and they just sat down to dinner and that was what I photographed that was our first session and you know I, I think at one point one of the boys looked at the camera and gave me a smile which is what kids would expect you'd want as a photographer and um and and Jacqueline the, the mom said you know you don't you, you she probably doesn't you don't need to do that you can just do you know we can just be our family and just do what we do and um, and so throughout the year, of course, they uh, we became the, the the boys became super comfortable, and so they they did give me some silly grins or some you know contemplative moments too. But I just it was such a great experience overall. Like I I don't know from from every perspective, and and it and it made me feel more a part of a community. I, you know, I made this stronger connection with the family that I didn't have before, and I got to see them grow. And so yeah, just awesome <laughs> that that really appeals to me that idea of uh becoming so a part of a family that they don't even see you mm-hmm. like one of my favorite things about photographing the people that I love is that they just they just ignore me yeah yeah <laughs> and perfect <laughs> and that's and I and I know that's one of the biggest challenges when you're trying to especially people who aren't familiar with um being around a camera and having people photograph them as they don't know how to act in front of a camera and they're always trying to almost model themselves for you um and it's nice just eventually you're just like "Eh, just do your thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah and and people yeah it's difficult for everyone i think especially for adults um to just not be slightly different in front of the camera and so that's when I think the interaction helps. So I'm constantly, you know, if I feel that, I'm constantly, so I'm, I'm looking for good photographs and good moments, but I'm also looking for opportunities to connect, to disarm, to make people feel comfortable, to, if I feel that there's any kind of tension or awkwardness, I, you know, I will put the camera down or I will start, I'll say something silly or, you know, so it's kind of a, you're in a dual mind where you're making sure or at least that's the way um, I approach things. I'm making sure that things are okay, things are in a good place, things are happy, and then I can back off a bit and really focus on taking photographs. But it sometimes that doesn't happen for the whole session, and then you know if it's a shorter session, if it's an hour session, then it's um, it's a lot of um, just mental. Um, it's a lot of yeah. It's mentally challenging for for me to do it, but it's it's thrilling and awesome. Um, but it's a, yeah, it's cognitively very demanding because you're juggling the role of photographer with the role of you know you're just trying to be friendly and put people at ease. And so the the aim is that the family doesn't feel awkward or or tense throughout the process. So that's why I try to bend, you know do do everything I can to to make that happen. Do you does any particular example come to mind where um, you were in a situation where you wanted to try and 
you know, put the family at ease a little bit because it wasn't working the way that you were hoping it would? Um, no, not really. What I've had sometimes happen is when I first show up, um, usually, uh, you know, if anybody will have kind of an, like, be more stressed out at the beginning, it's the dads. You know, usually it's the, the men that are, because usually I, I have mostly, not always, but I'd say about 60 to 70% of times it's it's the, the mother of a family who books the session. And, you know, she, and I always say, talk it over with your partner. Um, but the partner <laughs> sometimes agrees, you know, but then when you show up with a camera in their house, they might have some reservations still. So they've agreed to it, but they're like, oh, okay, what is happening? When is this going to be over? And so then, you know, the, and, that, and I've become pretty good at identifying those kind of scenarios. And when that happens, my focus is now on that person, on making that person feel safe and comfortable. And I haven't had any, I have, I, I don't remember of a, of, a, of a session that I've had where by the end, they weren't all kind of smiling or at least, you know, enjoying a part of it. Um, so I've, I've had some pretty good experiences and the families have been amazing and kind of come on board with it. So that's, yeah, it's been great. But is, yeah, usually I, I try to hone in on like, who's the, who's the least comfortable here? Let's, let's make this uh, tell a joke or I don't, you know, different strategies for different people, but. Absolutely. Do you, have a particular way of preparing for a shoot like do you kind of visualize anything or do you have these expectations like how how do you walk in before you you know walk through that door what kind of preparation are you doing if I'm completely honest I don't prepare in any way at all other than the fact that I'm you know I'm I guess uh, reading about photography and that so in a general sense I'm always trying to improve what I do and sometimes if I had a session that I felt you know oh this part could have been you know I look at the photographs and I think what it what could have been better here what am I not happy with about this segment of this session or what did I learn from the previous session I'll sort of take that try to take that with me or work on it or if I know that it's for, you know sometimes they'll say um my, my house is really dark, like they'll, they'll warn me ahead of time and then I just kind of have that in my head. But um, I don't actually do anything to prepare. I just get a little bit nervous right before, think like, what you know, what are they gonna think of me? And then <laughs> I go in there and then within, and it's so funny because even if I'm having a, but this sounds so cheesy or corny, but even if I'm having a really bad day, a really kind of, it's a drab day outside um, and, or, you know, I'm just down for whatever reason. I, I get to the client's home and then within five minutes, I'm so in the moment and, you know, and I'm laughing. And then I, when the session is done, I just have this like feeling of elation driving home. I'm like, this was amazing. I, I feel so much better. I feel so happy now. It's, yeah. It's a nice pick me upper. Yeah, it is. I feel that way at weddings too. All the weddings are like marathon sessions of excitement and dancing. But even with the really quiet, intimate family sessions where we we don't even go out we stay in the client home the whole time if it's really cold outside or raining and you know they're just reading books with their kids or you know whatever they're doing something quiet even then I just it's yeah it's really great making you feel happy I think I just really love that connection and uh, I wanted to ask you um, I mean you have uh, such a 
range of of photos and they're all so beautiful do you have there must be some that stick out to you whether there's like a story behind them or just you know whatever it was your connection with the subject at the time like can you pick out a few a few images just describe them maybe and then talk about them a little bit um yeah so I have a few that um and it's interesting because sometimes the the ones that are my that end up being my favorites aren't even the most storytelling photos which you know storytelling is a huge part of documentary photography and in the end we aim to tell stories with our photos and yet the ones that kind of stick out in my mind as as my favorites in my own work sometimes aren't they're more what you'd call maybe environmental portraits or you know more contemplative moments more removed from a particular context or story so one of them I use um, I used to use uh, last year's of a little girl on a swing and so taking photos of kids on swings or parents on swings teenagers on swings anybody on a swing it's like my fa- one of my favorite things to do because I love to shoot really low and I love to get them kind of in the sky so that you can't see the ground and you can't see any so they're just kind of suspended in you know in this in the sky um so I love that. I love to work really hard to get those shots. I have a vision of what I want it to look like. And so this one little girl, she's two, I think, or one and a half, and she's on a swing and um, in, in High Park in Toronto. And I just, you know, her dad's pushing her. And so I just kind of worked that scene to get her in the sky by herself. And it's just one of my favorite images. It's all blue. It's in the summertime. So there's a lot of blues and greens. Um, there's a bit of shrubs or trees around it. You, there's no ground. And she is looking wistfully off into the sky. And she's so young, and yet she has this very wise look in her eyes, I think. Or just, you know, she's just kind of uh, removed from a particular space and history I think you know and that's I'm really drawn to that and I'm a fan of sci-fi and I also write sci-fi science fiction and that's kind of my go-to zone is like these places that can't quite be placed or these scenes or these atmospheres or um, settings that can't quite be placed sometimes 80s like synth wave music is a little bit like that for me a lot a lot of arpeggiation and these sort of um or yeah, or just 80s kind of electronic music has that same vibe for me that, you know, you can't really quite place what era, I mean, you could, but it also gives off this futuristic vibe. It's it's kind of timeless in a way. Yeah, so that photograph sticks out in my head. Others are um, probably ones that I could, the problem is I get bored a lot of my own photos. I think this is probably common, you know, I, I look at a photo of mine and I'm like, you know, I really like it one day and then the next day I'm really done with it. Um, so I go through a lot of favorites and then they're no longer my favorites. So, yeah. Did you want more examples? No, no. <laughs> I, I, uh, I just, I, one of the things I really enjoy when I am going to a gallery or I'm looking through someone's work is, um, you know, the images are, I'm often very moved by the images, but I find that often they're lacking a description and I just want so much to mm-hmm. to know the story behind, you know, that's, as you said, you know, storytellers, like yeah. that's part of it. But no, that's that's perfect. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, I didn't realize this before, but you, 
do a little bit of birth photography or you have? I have, yeah, and I would love to get into it more. Um, it's something that's um, it's kind of a growing field in photography and I think it's the perfect field for a documentary photographer, someone who trains really in the moment because most hospital rooms are small and you're working around a whole team um, if it's a hospital birth but even if it's a home birth you know you're working around um, you know midwives and, and other people who are giving support and so you're trying to not be in the way but also be there right there and so it's a really awesome and also just um, having seeing a baby being born is incredible I've had three of my own but I've never seen it from that other perspective right I've always been the one having the babies and so when you photograph someone else it's uh it's really moving it's incredible i think that most of the uh birth birth photographers that i've come across are are all mothers do you think that that's a really important aspect to being in that field like what what are your thoughts on that um i don't i don't think so i don't think so i think that's probably just um maybe they're more interested in capturing that but I don't think that to be a good birth photographer you need to be a, a mother yourself I don't think you need to be uh, a woman uh, it might be more difficult for a male photographer to establish that or to to approach the field of birth photography um, just because of you know our cultural understandings and I think being a good photographer is quite separate from having lived the experiences so you know you're you're if you have trained in capturing emotion and stories and connections between people, then you should be able to do that whether you've had a child or not. And and I wanted to ask about navigating that space um, when you're doing birth photography. You are, you know, you obviously um, being in someone's home uh, just you know, taking photos of them at dinner is a little bit different than, you know, when someone is delivering a human, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 um, you've got a team there that need to do what they're doing, depending on the, the clients, how they feel about people in their space. Like, but I'm just wondering, is there a balance between getting close and getting the shot that you want and giving everyone the space that they need? So I think that, I mean, I, I've, my, my first and only birth photography client has been, was a, is an obstetrical uh, GP. So she, it was extremely open. And before the birth, she said, you know, take photos of everything. Um, I'm not shy. I don't have any reservations in that sense, you know, just you do you and, and, and that's kind of the best place you could be as a photographer because people just put their entire trust with you. They let you to do what you do and then they just focus. And But when you're giving birth, you're already so much in the moment that, you know, you tend to forget about everybody else. Um, and so then your job as a photographer becomes not to be obvious because when a mother's struggling and in pain, you don't want to be making her pain worse. So... You just have to be very flexible, very reactive, and be able to know when it's okay and when it's not okay to approach. Or, you know, uh, I think that part is um, you can't really uh, premeditate that. It's something you just have to be open to. You have to be really flexible. 
and and also with the with the shooting if at some point uh mother says i i want you to stop taking photos right now you know that's perfectly okay you know so i think more than any other session you have to just approach it with with real honesty and flexibility and say i'm there you know but if if things change then you know you just have to be okay with not being there or stopping putting it down yeah that makes sense and I wanted to ask you a little bit, I guess we're going to shift a little bit. I wanted to ask you about how, how you might describe your personality and how that kind of shapes your craft. Like everyone has a different approach, mm-hmm. and I'm just curious as to how you see that. That's such a good question and so difficult to answer. I feel that since I walked away from academia, I've done a lot of introspection because it felt... A failure of sorts you know I'd spent 16 years being on this track you know and I'm counting my undergraduate degree in there but you know that was in zoology so it's all kind of tied together I had I had I loved art in school I in high school um, you know I did AP art in uh, in Regina Saskatchewan and, and I loved it and I kind of let those um, interests hobbies go because they that's what I thought they they were um, and I loved, I always loved writing, you know, poetry and science fiction. And I let that go because that was just the thing to do. That was a sensible thing. And so uh, after these years in academia and after finally becoming a photographer, I thought, you know, I need to really think about what I'm doing here. And why am I, why am I making these choices? And what does this mean? I'm, you know, um, this is my opportunity. I'm switching careers and this is the time to examine life and so I've yeah as I've tried to think of what who I am what my personality is and I I'm an emotional person and so I love being inspired and I love epic things and I love hope and love and happy connections and so I don't find that a lot when I look at photographers that are brilliant photographers and highly revered but also very depressing you know um and their work is absolutely brilliant and inspiring but I can't look at a lot of it I can't look at a lot of magnum photographers work without being absolutely devastated and depressed and I can't be in that space as a photographer um I can't take those kind of photos I've come to terms with that so I'm now looking for joy uh and being open about it you know I'm I'm not ashamed anymore of the fact that I like if my photos verge into sentimental territory which I think sometimes they do I'm okay with that I am no longer ashamed of that as being something of a weakness I think that from my perspective there's plenty of sadness and strife and grief in the world and that's a part of the human condition and if that happens on your watch as a photographer then it is your duty to capture that but I don't think that that needs to be always the focus of the work that you present to people because there's so much love and beauty and hope and joy and I think that you know also needs I think that needs to be and color (laughs) when I first started I photographed with a a kind of a begin entry-level camera Nikon body and so everything was the sensor wasn't very sensitive you know wasn't very nice and so Photos looked better in black and white, and also I was under the impression that, you know, they're they're more lofty probably in black and white, so I was presenting a lot of black and white work, and 
editing a lot in black and white. And uh, as the years go by, I find myself mostly presenting color and being drawn to color and looking for color photographs in the world. And some of my favorite photographs are black and white photographs of other people. But even so, I just love to see the world in color. I think, you know, that's where it's at for me. And what kind of drives you, you know, what do you strive for in your photos? I mean, I'm kind of getting a picture that uh, you really do want to capture just things that make people feel good and the contemplative moments. Like, do you have a, like an ultimate uh, vision or goal for for your photography? Like, what is it you're aiming at? Um, I mean, I guess there's there's multiple, and it depends on the scene. Sometimes, overall, I want to take um, dynamic, epic, iconic images. If that's like my lofty goal one day to to kind of be that kind of photographer, and so I always aim for that. I love taking photos of kids in in action, jumping, and it's something that has stuck with me. It's not one of those things I've tried on and, you know, for size and not liked, like a preset. It's something that I'm really drawn to. I love the, the weightlessness of a jumping child, for instance, or, and also uh, with human connection, I'm looking for trust and it's, it's something that's a recurring theme, I think, and what I love in what I read, the, the, the books that I read, the stories that I write, it's always about whether it's trust between strangers or trust between family members, but it's this notion that you can have another human being who's apart from you, who's completely different from you, and yet you somehow put your trust in them in every interaction, you know, in a family, in, in multiple interactions every day. A child trusts their parents unconditionally, and a parent puts um, parents trust each other, partners. So all these kind of moments, I think I'm looking for, where that exemplify unspoken, unconditional trust between people, and I guess love and attachment. So you know, that's I think that's what I'm looking for, and that those are the photographs I'm I'm really drawn to like the authentic moments of trust not necessarily like smiles or anything specific it's it's hard to pin down um this is kind of an odd question but have you found over your time in this field that you've developed a philosophy of sorts like I mean you know you said you spent some time doing some reflections and you know you've had a chance to take a look at your work and say, okay, you know, I like this, I like that. You know, what is what is your philosophy when it comes to photography and what you're hoping, you know, to present to the world and what matters to you most? Like, where are you getting that fulfillment? Um, so that's a difficult question. I don't, I think I'm still figuring out, there's still things I struggle with a lot. And so, you know, I'm constantly trying to figure out if a particular photograph is not as good as I wanted or, or an entire set of photographs. Uh, what, why? Why isn't, what am I looking for? What, is, what am I looking for that's not here? Or even things like my style has changed over the years to, you know, I used to be much more careful in my compositions and I would square on the scene and take photographs through the viewfinder um, almost exclusively, you know, carefully 
focusing on a specific point and, and composing that way. And now, over a couple, of, the last couple of years, I've just through through shooting so many frames and so many big long events, like a day in the life session or or weddings, you know, which are really really long. I've started to adopt a much more um, fast and loose approach with the camera, where I'm shooting over my head. I'm shooting from the hip. I'm shooting from here, from here. And I use back button autofocus for camera geeks. Um, so I just have my thumb pressed on that focus button and I'm just, and I shoot with my 24 millimeter lens, my, my widest lens that I have, which since acquiring it, I almost exclusively shoot with a 24 now. I cannot go back. It's like so addictive. And it, and for this, for the type of photography that I do, I feel like it's just, it lends itself so nicely to it. It might give you know a few elongated heads because of the distortion that you get at the at the edges of of the frame, but that's not as important to me as the moment. And so then, with this lens, I can get in real close to people. Like I'm sometimes literally centimeters away from their face, and you get this feeling of intimacy. And you can't get that if you're behind the viewfinder, carefully composing. You have to just be able to reach out and get close with your hands. And so now more than ever I'm more engaged than the moment I'm completely lost in the moment of what's happening um and yet and so I'm shooting you know all these from different angles and so the the shots aren't always you know squared on and perfectly symmetrical which is something that I was drawn to before but I'm kind of letting go of that and it feels great and I'm just going with my gut so I think the philosophy is follow your instincts and then identify what isn't working and kind of try to keep working on it. That's really funny because um, when I was looking at your work and trying to figure out how I would describe it, words like crooked, imperfect, <laughs> uh, out of focus sometimes, like uh, just, you know, muddy, just uh, all came to mind. And and But, I mean, that's what makes them beautiful, you know, they're not posed at all it's part of the action um and you feel like you're you're in the moment and uh i I mean i very much think it's a strength as much as those adjectives might usually be used to uh (laughs) that's you know that's really nice of you to say because it's actually one of my sources of um kind of insecurity because i i feel that even though this feels uh super intuitive to me and this is this appears to be I've described it like a, a freight train you know it's it's what it's where I'm headed this is that my my voice if you will or the way I'm the, the way I shoot the way I'm comfortable with shooting and the way I'm I, I don't think I can go back but um I sometimes wonder how clients will receive it because my you know it might change from from uh, from year to year slightly so you, from the more kind of conventionally pretty aesthetic to something more dynamic and more crooked and muddy <laughs> Um, so, you know, so it, I wonder, like, you know, are, are clients always going to be on board with this? Because I am providing a service, so I want the photographs, first and foremost, to be valuable to my clients, you know, as memories. And, and then the art comes secondary, although, you know, sometimes it's really hard to disentangle them. Um, and I think it's because I get of things so it's it's difficult to say I'm going to shoot this way for the rest of my life I just don't think that's possible so I struggle a little bit with that but so far people seem to be really receptive and you know as long as they put their their trust in you I think it's so far it's working 
And and I've heard that before because it's true that is kind of a struggle where you're constantly trying to balance your craft and your vision and what you think your client wants. And and it's really hard. And um, I've heard people say, you know, you know, their advice is just, you know, the clients who want your art will come to you and yeah. say, I like this. Just do your thing. You just do your thing around me. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. That's a perfect description. And and that's that's amazing um, when that happens. And there are clients that are exactly even before they book there, they say that I, I love your work. I just want to book with you. I don't care. Just do do what you do. <laughs> Um, and what would you say, this is maybe another um, question that might need some thought. Um, what do you reckon is, is the most worthwhile investment that you've made so far? And that can be, you know, your time, money, energy. Um, so for like a few examples, maybe um, investing your energy into a particular, you know, personal project you know, or or travel or equipment or booking like a studio space or, you know, do you find that there's anything in particular that has really kind of carried its weight? Hmm. I don't, I don't know if there's any one specific thing. I think it's just being self-critical and having a bar that I set for myself, which I think is very normal again, that isn't, am I, what is, is what I'm doing good enough? Is it, how can it be better? And who, who, who in the world is brilliant and do I admire and do I want to be more like? And that's not to say that I, you know, I want to be a clone of anybody, but even, you know, in, in any, area where you take inspiration and writing or art is, uh, you know, they say that you should just try to emulate your heroes and then that you will develop your own voice. And so I have a few heroes. I'm not a person who has like a huge, I'm um, terrible at names. I'm trying to work on it. That's one of my resolutions for this year. Um, but I don't have a huge bank of store, you know, photographers names in my head that, you know, I've stored, but I have some images that I've seen of others. And I just, I'm drawn to them like, like a like like magic or a puzzle I need to know what the magic is behind this those are the photos that really draw me in is photos that I don't know how they were achieved and then I try to figure it out and sometimes that can be done if the photographer's um, still around and photographing I'll just reach out to them and say I admire your work and how did you take this or if they're a local photographer I can just you know invite them for coffee and ask but that's always kind of I think that's that's been it just being open to to outside influences but not in a kind of haphazard way but just what moves me and how do I disentangle what what moves me about this and how do I take more of that into my own work that's not really a thing is it <laughs> I'm sorry no 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 uh I I don't run a tight ship here on the depth of field. <laughs> okay. I uh, I am only curious in uh, uh, on the thoughts that that run through okay. people's heads. Now, um, have you had any mentoring? Um, not formally, I guess. So I have I've worked with a local wedding photographer, Tim Forbes. So I shot a season of weddings with him, um, and he's been he's been awesome. Um, I've 
it's funny. I, I'm actually kind of reluctant to be mentored for the sake of being mentored because I feel that there's so much yet that I need, to, so much kind of uh, work that I still need to do myself until I'm stable enough to um, to not be hugely influenced by someone, if that makes any sense. I don't want to be swayed in one direction or another if if I'm such a novice. I, that might sound kind of backwards, but... Um, no, 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 no. I, I want to, like, I want to know that there's a reason behind the things I'm doing and then have someone who I respect and admire say, yeah, you know, this is an area of weakness. And then I think I'll be better able to receive that kind of, because I'll know what to do with it because I know how I arrived at that area of weakness or or maybe I overlooked that area completely in my development as a photographer. So I'm, I think one-on-one -on -one mentorship with specific people would be really, really great. Um, and that's difficult because it's really expensive. <laughs> So I'm not at that uh, stage yet, but but in terms of um, yeah, I, I've been reluctant to to in, to go to to conferences or workshops where there's many voices because I just feel there's so much I'm still figuring out on my own, and I I kind of need to go through that process before receiving all that input. I uh, it reminds me what you're saying, um, and I don't know I'm, if if I'm interpreting it correctly, but it it, it reminds me of. Um, the school system a little bit. I think the school system is a bit backwards in the sense that teachers uh, or educators, I should say, are almost, you know, they're teaching their students the things that are important rather than letting the students figure out what it is that they want or what they're curious in and trying to get from educators, like how they can apply that into to their curiosities. Exactly. Um, yeah. and, and I know what you mean, like you don't want to influence your shaping before you've decided what what you're going to be. <laughs> mm -hmm. it, it's a, it's a difficult... So I think the photography is interesting because you've got two kind of crowds of people. And they, you know, you can take on more than one hat. But, you know, you've got people who are um, sort of uh, trade photographers. They they do this as a, as a business. And, um, and there's conferences for that and workshops where you train in how to do a specific style, for instance, or even just down to the small details of applying specific presets, you know, that are trendy at the time. So there's that whole part of the industry. And then there's also the kind of the more, I guess, people who consider themselves artists first and for whom having an individual voice is really important and, you know, having their own vision. And so if I were to be mentored, I would want to be mentored by someone more like that. But then, you know, again, because the vision, visions are so different, I think, you know, it's, I, I think I need to have my own before I take on, um, before I ask someone to give me about their valuable time. I think I need to be able to stand on, on my own two legs first. So I just have a few more questions I'm gonna try and put in here. I kind of want to ask everyone this, but um, if you were like to interview, you said you you've asked uh, photographers or you've c contacted photographers before. If you um, were to ask a question to a photographer whose work you admired, what what would you want to ask them? What would what do you what are you curious to know about your fellow photographers? Oh, that's yeah. So I I was thinking about this earlier, and I I don't I think it each uh, photographer I've reached out to I have maybe 
more specific questions if there's a particular body of work of theirs that I love and I, you know, what what inspired you to, to take these photographs. But something that's kind of interesting to me to, to mull over is um, a, a, a street photographer, uh, Eric Kim, recently, I think a few months ago, he said on his um, on his Facebook page or on a blog, he said, would you take photographs if nobody would ever see them? And he kind of put that out there for people. And I think around 99% of people said, yes, absolutely, I would take photographs if nobody could ever see them. And I... I sat back and I thought, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that I would take photographs if I, if nobody ever saw them. And, and then that started, and then I was trying to think of why, you know, why, why not? And what does this mean about me? And why am I doing photography? And so I think if I could get an honest opinion from people on what, why they take photographs, what pho- photographs mean to them, and really, honestly, if they would take photographs, if n- nobody in the world could ever see them, not one person, those photographs would be shared with, would you still continue to take photos? That I guess that would be like my overarching question for people. That's so interesting. I've never thought to ask myself that. I, it's, right? Like, what would, what would you say? What, what is your inclination now? <laughs> I think I would. Yeah? I think I would. Yeah, because I have so many mental photographs as well that that I just wasn't able to capture yeah I I think I would it, it's a moment in time for me and even if you know I don't get to share them um the, the drive is still there I guess yeah that's really that's really interesting I don't know <laughs> I mean I, I I write stories even though I know most of them will never be published and no one will ever read them but, you know, just as I was passing uh, on the causeway today and looking at the fog and, and the, 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 bu- the beautiful shoreline in the fog, it's so beautiful. And I thought, why didn't I have my camera? But then I'm like, well, I get to enjoy it. You know, it's this moment. And I might take a picture, you know, and it might look pretty and people might enjoy it. Or, or if nobody enjoyed it, that's fine, too. But there's something fl- I I don't know maybe because I've been taking so many photographs lately that I just think some some moments are meant to be just enjoyed and not you know I've definitely um, started taking less I, I'll see something and I'll be like ooh I want to take a photo of that I'm like I'm not what am I gonna do with this you know it's yeah. not it doesn't pass that standard right. but it's still beautiful you know mm-hmm. you're just like uh, this is just gonna take up room on my computer yeah (laughs) how do you share your work where can people find you um so i'm i have a website and i have an instagram and facebook accounts um facebook is uh, increasingly reducing their reach for businesses and that's something i'm actually 100 percent behind they just this morning on the news i read that um mark zuckerberg is in his vow to fix Facebook in 2018 has said that he will be reducing the reach of businesses even further and so the focus will be more on engaging with your family and friends and nice discussions rather than just being bombarded on your feed by brands and businesses and so I love that I've you know I'm start uh, Facebook is becoming a place that's just too crowded um, but people can still find I still post there a little bit I post on Instagram um that's kind of the three. So my website, Instagram, and Facebook. I have a 500 pixels account as well. Do you have? A, do you want to give the website out? Yeah, my my website is viaramilova.com. 
Right. And then my Instagram is just Viera Milova. Facebook is Viera Milova Photography. If you Googled my name, you might find some academic stuff that's not related anymore. <laughs> that's fun. That's, you yeah. get a nice uh, holistic picture yeah. of how things are. <laughs> Yep. Well, thank you so much for coming in and spending your time with me today. I've really uh, appreciated it and thank you. learned thanks. a lot. Thanks so much for having me. This was really fun. I'm, yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> thanks. So if you'd like to check out more of Viara's work uh, or follow her on Instagram or the like, check out this shabby little Facebook page I've kind of put together um, where I'll be posting content from each show, links to the artist's work, and an audio clip of this show so that you can listen at your leisure. Uh, Just search uh, CFRC Depth of Field in the search bar on Facebook, um, and it should pop up for you. And um, thank you for listening. It's been a long week, and I look forward to seeing you next Saturday for Depth of Field.